Welcome to Everything Trying to Kill You, the podcast that analyzes and makes fun of horror movies just to keep from the uncontrollable weeping that reflects the world our society has become because life imitates art, y'all. I'm Mary Kay. I'm Mary. And because today we're going to be talking about the autopsy of Jane Doe, we have a really special, lovely guest on, S.A. Bradley. Scott, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and your book uh, and your podcast? Thank you. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, I am S.A. Bradley. Uh, I am the host of Hellbent for Horror, and that is a podcast that talks about everything horror, uh, whether it be books, TVs, uh, film, uh, plays, music. Uh, I like to talk about the entire pop culture uh, uh, arena, and I like to say that I'm here to remind you you used to love horror movies, and you secretly still do. <laughs> and so yeah. I talk about the cultural side of it, uh, as well as uh, how it affected me. And I did write a book. It's called Screaming for Pleasure, How Horror Makes You Happy and Healthy. And yes, yes, I do believe it can make you happy and healthy. Uh, it is a deeper dive into the kind of things that I speak about on my podcast. Uh, and that is basically a deep dive into everything that is creepy crawly and how culture forms uh, horror and how horror forms culture and how all of that is consistently changing by generation how horror can mutate to be able to get the anxiety that you need to have relieved by watching a movie. I like to talk about horror as a handshake with your shadow. You have the ability to take that thing that you cannot articulate and turn that out to the world through a horror movie. Kind of like how I did with uh, Heavy Metal and Mosh Pits. I had no idea (laughs) why I was so upset, but I'd go in there and I'd feel much better afterwards. (laughs) Yeah, I loved this book. It was super fun because even though I hadn't seen all of the movies that you talked about, um, the way that you wrote about them made me feel like I was watching the trailer (laughs) in my head. It was really cool. And then um, it just touches a lot of things. Yeah. Thanks. Um, So because I worked in like public services and social services, and I worked specifically in inclusion for a long time, I... um, I've had some exposure to audio description, Mm -hmm. which is uh, a tool for people who are visually impaired to enjoy movies and television shows. Um, And basically it's um, the experience would be such that you sit and and listen and there's somebody describing what's happening on the screen. And it's a really, really bizarre and careful and fascinating art form unto itself to capture what's happening on the screen without commentary so that it's as evocative as the visual. Right without shaping the listener's perception of the, of the events on screen or the visuals so that they're, they're getting it and then having the same interpretive experience that someone who is watching the visuals would have. And it reminded me very much of that. That like, as I was reading, I, I got to experience the thing that you experienced Oh, without it being like colored but, for me or like, yeah, right, right. Like, like, like it wasn't. Yeah. Well, thank right, you. Yeah. That, that, that comes from me having to persuade everybody that I know for decades <laughs> into watching <laughs> anything watch that I would watch. Movie. Yeah. To just sit yeah. and watch the damn movie with me. So I, uh, and, and I love previews and uh, I grew up on watching, you know, people talk about films, but also monologuists, how they talked about their uh, stories that they were going to tell. So Mort Saul and guys like that. And there was a guy on the radio. uh, Oh, my goodness, I'm going to forget his name now. He was extremely well known for the rest of the story. And he was this old guy who would tell a story from the news. And then he would go, and that is where we start 
the rest of the story. And he would go on this embellishment and I'd be completely riveted. And I thought, you know, know, I'm never going to be able to make a movie. I'm never going to have the money for that. But how about if I try to do this cinematically in my convincing and my arguments that I've had for so long and put that into a podcast and then into a book. And I grew up in the 70s. So when we talk about horror, I look at it as just an art form. Everything is an art form. It's always subjective. And it's always dependent upon what the popular belief is about that art, whether it is high art or low art. I think that pop culture and culture, the the line between them has disappeared. I think that pop culture is culture at this point. And so the old arguments are still lingering and they're unnecessary. And that art Mm -hmm. can be something that uh, changes people's lives. And when I was growing up in the 70s, that's when movies were taken very seriously. And it wasn't quite the 60s where everything was on an upswing. In the 70s, you had things like The Godfather, where you're having a critical look at systems and families and what I got out of that was that even my dad talked about film in a way that we don't talk about it anymore because that was we trusted that cinema was going to do something really interesting so I I watched horror movies I was like why can't it be for this as well and people like pat me on the head and go oh but of course yes that makes all the sense in the world but but I think 30 years on 40 years on uh, we're now at this place where we're finally starting to look at the allegorical power of a horror film that a horror film by definition cannot help but comment on the culture that it's involved in because it's trying to get a rise out of you so it may be yeah it can be unconscious or it can be conscious i like what uh uh, Toby Hooper says, uh, the late Toby Hooper said, you know, you make these movies and then 20 years later you find out what it was really about. And, <laughs> and that's fine because to me that's art. Art doesn't follow. Yeah. It's not accounting. It's not math. It is this thing where you may not know why you decide to pick a certain image. It's kind of like the stinger theory, uh, the idea that you have uh, that I have in my book where why does that killer look like Charles Manson you know why are you immediately thinking Charles Manson when you see the guy and I think that that happens by sometimes unconscious and sometimes very conscious ideas from the director that they want you to feel what you felt when you saw uh Charles Manson sometimes it's even more complex than that where they set up scenes that remind you of something horrible that happened or maybe even something great and and so I think that that happens in film all the time and uh, I think we've got to stop uh pretending that there's like some kind of difference in the great thinkers like oh my goodness well David Lynch thinks all this stuff are you sure he thinks it all out are you (laughs) sure he's not feeling through like an artist sometimes that's just your homunculus like sorting shit out that you didn't know you were putting together yeah like you didn't consciously are we sure that that David specifically David Lynch doesn't sometimes just go (laughs) that's really gonna fuck him up and just put it in there (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I think that's completely cool too I think if it makes him laugh it's probably a really good thing. You know, it's, it's yeah. hitting on an emotion. Any kind of emotional reaction, right, is the point yeah. uh, to me. In your book, you talk about the idea of the stinger. I'm going to have you explain it. I think you did already a little bit, but I wanted, my question was, what was the stinger of this movie? Oh, that, but will you tell us, like, what, 
what how exactly you define it that way they'll our listeners will know sure sure and uh, i love that you asked about a stinger for this because my first thought was not every movie has a stinger and then i'm like well i think this one does so when i talk about stingers in movies i talk about how films try to recreate images that are kind of indelibly connected to a, a real life event usually something mm-hmm. that's kind of tragic or really exciting something that gets a big emotion because it wants to tap into that emotional memory and uh, so you're kind of stung the stinger is you get stung by the emotions that you got in real life while you're watching a movie that is imitating that it's usually trying to uh, ape whatever happened before and bring those emotions directly into the film so examples are like the end of Night of the Living Dead where uh, mm-hmm. as, especially if you were uh, watching the movie in the late 60s, early 70s, the end looks just like newsreel footage of riots that are happening during the Civil Rights March and definitely mm-hmm. lynchings. So it's in black and white. You have these guys coming out of nowhere with rifles and shooting our main, protag- our main protagonist in the head. And all of that became what was happening on the news right at that time when that movie was made. Other ways are like, there was an X-Files movie that was made in, I think, the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, I mentioned because I think there's been like a whole new X-Files thing since. But that movie had a a moment in there where uh, a building explodes, a government building. And that, when the camera pulls out, it was an exact replica of the Oklahoma City bombing where half the building was hanging. So you're immediately hit with this punch in the chest of something that you know that you've seen. And then there's something that's even more amorphous, like Get Out, the end of Get Out. Mm-hmm. As soon as the mm-hmm. police lights come across Chris while he's standing. The, en- the entire theater that I was in went, no. Yep, same. <laughs> yeah, and that's a stinger. That's, that's where yeah. we're taking our own recurring nightmare that we see on the news over and over again and transferring it onto that film. And I think it's interesting that Night of the Living Dead and Get Out, I consider Get Out the new Night of the Living Dead. I think mm-hmm. for, for, this, uh, for this time period, it is the one that speaks just like uh, George Romero's did. But, yeah, and it's a zombie movie. Yeah, and it's a zombie movie, so, exactly. Yeah. And so I thought, uh, I thought it was magnificent. But those are ideas of stingers. So when you're talking about this movie, and I'm not sure, I'm assuming that we're, uh, uh, we're going to autopsy this film, so dissect the hell out of it. There's not going to be mm-hmm. any spoiler alerts or anything like that. Anybody who comes on is, is mad to think that we're not going to talk about it. Guys, it's an hour and a half long. It's right. on Netflix. Yeah. Just go watch it. Yeah. It's fun. Emile Hirsch is still cute. Like, just go watch it. <laughs> right. So the stinger in this movie is a little bit more subtle. And the stinger that I picked was the first time we see Jane Doe's body in the film. So for people who haven't seen it, uh, we start with uh, a, a bucolic, uh, nice-looking house in the suburbs somewhere in Virginia. And all of a sudden, we go inside of it, and it's a bloodbath. There's been multiple murders. There are elderly people laying on the ground, a knife in one, a bullet wound in the other. And then there's a gardener or a housekeeper up on the stairwell. He's dead. The sheriff's walking around. Then uh, he's told to come down in the basement. They go down into the basement and he walks over to what is a pit, essentially. And there is a half-covered body of a woman, pristine, beautiful, naked, in this strange, eerie light. 
And it, she is surrounded by this weird, almost oval kind of dirt uh, cone. And it is very beautiful. And as soon as I saw it, I said, this is hitting me like a painting. This is where, you know, my head is going. And so I, I was like, I know this image. And what it ended up being, because I had to re, re-look at it again uh, after I did my book, I'm actually going to have to change the book a little bit because I found something even better, which is the Sleeping Venus. So in the 1500s, the Sleeping Venus was considered the first big time nude solo of a woman during a time when you did not show women naked. So it was very controversial. We're Googling it. Okay. We're going to put it in our show notes yeah. too, so you guys can so see you're gonna, Oh, yeah, yeah, I know this You're going to see yes. multiple versions of it. And that's where it gets really interesting because this thing has a lot of controversy about who may have been the actual artist. Some say it started by Titian. Uh, some say it was... Mm-hmm. Uh, Gregoriani, I think I, I'm probably mispronouncing mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, what happens is everybody that buys it, it becomes a very popular painting. A lot of other people start painting the exact same thing with just a little bit of a stylistic difference. But the original painting starts getting painted over by the people who buy it. So they're like, I don't like the drapes. <laughs> they change the color of the clothing and things like that. They change it from background of being uh, a bucolic background of hills that are shaped like the woman to couches and things like that, you know, like an interior. And then they start adding things like Cupid and they start adding mm-hmm. Pan leeringly. And these other guys make the same painting with old men like climbing trees trying to look down at this naked woman. So that's this weird object of uh, of uh desire but it's also a painting a work of art that is hidden it, the real painting is hidden under a whole bunch of other paintings false ideas old stories new history old history and it's the original is actually lost now they don't know what it originally looked like so i thought that that was a very interesting choice to have her in a position that reminded me so much of that because she's kind of a sleeping venus she's kind of a venus flytrap in this movie she is this mm-hmm. beautiful thing that holds danger and wrath inside of it and she's really kind of uh, to me this isn't a person this is kind of a a fury. This is a buildup of what happens not only in the Salem witch trials, but everything after that. And it's this almost like this puzzle box, kind of like the Cenobite box in Hellraiser. You're compelled to get to the answer, but the answer is going to kill you. The answer is, congratulations, you're in the gates of hell. We're going to rip your face off. And it's kind of the same weirdness that's going to happen inside of this movie as well. So it felt like that whole thing was such a great little stinger that it made me stop and take a look at art books until I found the the painting that I thought uh, it it was uh, inspiring by. I immediately thought of um, Jean Benet, I saw Jean Benet Ramsey. Yes. Oh, yes. That's what I thought of too when she was in the house and they couldn't figure out how she got killed. Oh, that's magnificent. Yeah, they, found her, they found her in a basement, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's exactly what I thought of. That this, and like, they this beautiful... exhumed the contents of her stomach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pineapple this, in that this, case, but yes. Yeah, this beautiful and innocent and also very much othered thing, like this, this, this precious human child that, you know, in the course of this film, we discover, okay, this is woman-made witch. We had this mm-hmm. child-made woman? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's a um, beauty queen. Yeah. Conforming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, conforming. Yeah, sure. that this kind of, this, this, this creature that had been, 
like shaped and pummeled into some other form of being this this bastardized form of being that wasn't healthy for her or anybody around her really um so that was my knee jerk magnificent i love that because i think for what i thought of the film as well that dovetails perfectly into my thoughts about it so i think that's even better because it's topical just get rid of the art book crap (laughs) set set fire to my (laughs) painting were were you saying that you felt uh jean benet as well very gay i well when they were like it doesn't look like anyone came in or out i was like oh like jean benet ramsey um i she didn't remind me of that but that line did um I also liked how you couldn't tell if she had been buried or if she had been unburied. I was thinking, well, first of all, I was like, this crime scene examination is terrible because her skin is so clean. Like, you guys are destroying it by washing her up. But it makes a lot of sense that she was, like, hiding herself when they got there. Um, but that's part of the convention that I couldn't really unpack. I liked that image though. It was very beautiful and compelling. It also, it also occurred to me that they somehow found her and that's why all this started that had she been undisturbed wherever she'd been buried previously. Oh, that's a good point. None of this would have happened that maybe, yeah. So that either somehow she had come upon them and then had been trying to Mm -hmm. rebury herself. Yeah. But given that how she reacted to being interacted with in the morgue, I was like, no, I think they found her, and she was like, "Bitch, leave me alone." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I th- I thought that as well. It's like uh, the irony would be that that guy was building like a safe house or something. He's like a safe room. It's like, oh cellar. no, yeah, he was like a fallout I need a- shelter. This I marriage is going to continue after forty years, Cheryl. I need a man cave. That's right. <laughs> Good acoustics down underneath the house. He oh was just God. looking for somewhere to make a nice, quiet room to do his own podcast, guys. Right. <laughs> and then he got brutally murdered that is how it goes right (laughs) maybe it's not even a stinger but just the image that lingered with me the longest was when they put her uh, like it was like a neck rest so that they elevated her chin and opened her mouth and saw that her tongue had been removed yeah and that was just really harrowing (laughs) for me to be like i don't even i'm really sure what i'm looking at and then also how um in i mean when we first see her like she she looks like a painting. That's how perfect yeah. her body is preserved. Perfect skin, eyes, hair, everything just flawless. And then they open her mouth and you see that they've cut out her tongue and she has a gap between her teeth. Yeah. And I just thought that was very like, it made her seem more childlike than we had been able to view her so far so like i did i i didn't associate her directly with john benet ramsey as a victim but the idea and then they also say at one point austin says like oh she's in her late 20s and then his his tommy says she appears to be in her late 20s and i thought that was really important because the witches at salem which we're supposed to associate her as being one of the witches at salem even though we're going to get into the historical like uh, accuracy of that. Right. But um, they, they make that association. And I remember thinking, oh, I thought those witches, at least, well, some of those witches were elderly. Yes. But more, um, m- more prominent in our pop culture is, oh, this was a young, beautiful woman and someone's wife felt threatened by her. Right. And so they decided she was a witch. And in those cases, I think the age is like, 16 to 20. Yeah. 
Yeah. There, yeah. There, or maybe even a little younger. Yeah, I think there was a 14-year-old uh, that was in there. Uh, I mean, the the, the 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 real look that we get in our pop culture of the Salem Witch Trials is really from Miller, you know, uh, The Crucible. You know, we get all uh, that whole thing is about young innocence being taken. Uh, and it, it is a little bit different in, in, in the real world. But I think that, uh, um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned some of the lines that uh, stuck out to you and, and made you think about, about pieces like this. Because you mentioned uh, him saying uh, appears to be 20. And you saw that right. as a reference to um, the the youth of the Salem witches. And mm-hmm. to me, it was another in a theme that was continuing on this film about how he is kind of absolving himself of any of the actions of violence that there is in his job mm-hmm. by always totally, saying yeah. that, nope, we only see what was in front of us. Uh, we just observe and report, uh, let the detectives yep. determine yep. the motive. Leave We're the co- just yep. cause of death. We, yep. we are the, leave the why to the cops and to the shrinks. And he says right. that over and over. Uh, and I think it definitely feels like there's, there's commentary on that here that, yeah. that, keeping that kind of distance and that kind of that sense of impartiality that that simply collecting the information isn't good enough you have to interrogate the information you collect in order to to fully function seems to be the the message and we'll we'll get into whether we feel like the storytelling is working or not at various points and that was one thing that i felt i felt a little let down when i was like Oh man, you're just gonna give it to me straight, right? You're gonna, just <laughs> yeah. gonna I also, smack me over the head with it. Okay. Um, he also doesn't do that. He doesn't just find the cause of death. No. He he gives it a narrative, like with the old man that they're um, examining right. in the beginning. He's like, no, he fell and dr- and bumped his head. Yeah. And he was unconscious by the time the fire got to him because he has barely any smoke inhalation. Um, but you don't know that he fell. Like, you, you don't know that. No. You know that but it was also, something that broke his brain. Right. Narrative narrative, and story are not the same right. thing. No, right. that's true. And I think that that's where we, we get into the... I think that's kind of the dichotomy yeah. here, is that being able to piece the events together in order is not the same thing as understanding what the events yeah. mean in order. And, and, right, and, there's the good causality if there's a narrative. Yeah. And, like one thing causes the next. Right, and I think that that's yeah. a very interesting point that's here. I mean, uh, taking into point that uh, man that's burnt, which, of course, is there to set mm-hmm. us up so that we know what a real autopsy is supposed to be like. We get to see it's like rock and roll, they're moving and everything, and they're completely yeah. without any concern for the body. The body right. is just That data. bothered me too. Yeah. Like I know you have to dissociate, but like Yeah. So this there is and undignified. I was a firefighter, <laughs> so I can talk a little bit about that. But uh, the uh, the thing of they're showing that very much that this is where they just disassociate so that they this is just data. But the son says, you know, nobody's claimed this body yet. I think he died of loneliness and that's when dad goes no, stop saying that kind of thing. You know, we're not here to talk about that. It's only what is what is here. We are here for the how, not the why. And the how is history. And the how cannot help you. <laughs> it's the why that's important. And it's being able to feel what's going on. And I think that that is what we're really talking about in this movie is that this is a rage to force the why that this mm. beast whatever it is, this Jane Doe is really forcing the why in a world of how, because how is safe. 
How is history? And the whole place is a history lesson. He, they're not in a state-of-the-art place. They're in a basement underneath an old right. house. Three generations. Right. They're using rotary phones. The people who are killed are elderly, and they've got a, a cord phone on the wall that says, do not touch, no fingerprints taken yet, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing all of this is past. And so they, they are not feeling the past. They are recording the past. So if you're talking about what happened in the civil rights and you're just reading it and you're not taking in any of the emotional baggage that went with it, it's just a story and it's easy to forget. Yeah, what's the point of that? Yeah, it's easy to forget. (laughs) And what happens? You replay it again. It comes back. The history comes back. It rises. And so... Which it does. Yeah. And I think... Literally. Literally in this movie. (laughs) In this movie. Yeah. And I think that's it. Yeah. But is it scary? I, I, I say it's scary. See, scary's not super big to me. Terrifying is the, would be like, holy shit, that was terrifying. This has a few good jump scares in it. Uh, I like the, the concepts behind it. I think the storyline and what we're really supposed to be watching is scary. Uh, the execution, it reminded me of like a Hammer horror movie, you know, where it's, it's almost like a procedural for a while. That there's always a scientist... One one listener one time has no idea what you're talking okay. about because they only started watching horror movies <laughs> because of this podcast. Yeah. So Hammer, say there's a listener out yeah. there who doesn't know what you're right. Hammer about. horror films were uh, British horror films that were made in the 50s and 60s. Uh, they actually were the first movies to bring blood into movies, Kensington Gore in color, and they were known for you know being a little racy, but being kind of uh, old school movies that were like police procedurals it would be like uh van helsing would kind of be more like a sherlock holmes and then he would come out and cut somebody's hand off so there were a lot of scenes in those movies yeah there were a lot of scenes in those movies where you would have uh guys looking over a dead body and pulling the top of the head off and looking at the brain (laughs) going you know this Ah, is the major problem so it has kind of that old school feel especially (laughs) with the brains out here instead of inside Ah. yeah Uh, especially with the setting which looks so much like a Victorian age kind of thing. Uh, yeah. the, the wainscoting on the walls and these weird fisheye lenses that distort everybody's vision. Uh, and it, so it's not like it hits me like the immediacy, a punch in the mouth of something that feels eternally modern like the, the Exorcist, if you don't watch the first half hour. If you watch the exorcism happening, it's like it feels like it could have been shot yesterday. And so there's none of that kind of feel. This is very restrained in a way, even though there's a lot of gore and and body parts. It has this feeling. It's very clinical. Yeah, very clinical. Yeah. So I wouldn't say scary per se. Uh, I would say ideas are scary. But I think that it's a great ghost story. And I'll tell you why. I think it's one of the best ghost stories. (laughs) What do you think, Mary? I think that, so I felt scared watching this in a way that I haven't felt scared watching a lot of what we've, we've discussed lately. And I think that some of that is just, you know, you said it in a fucking funeral home, my friend. Well done. So just things, some, some simple structure elements, structural elements, excuse me, uh, like hallways and then having to use the mirrors to see around corners where they're going um, gives you a lot of great moments for the, the, the deep focus when you establish pretty quickly that once she's unleashed she can do anything she can be anywhere she can make everything go anywhere right. if you set up the rule that like this entity is basically omnipotent but we just don't know what she wants yet then 
great, there's nowhere they can go. Right. There's nothing they can do. Hell, I, as far as I know, even if they left this building, she could keep haunting them and messing them up. So I had, I felt actually like scared, like, like hold a pillow, like, oh uh-huh. my God, what's she going to do? Scared throughout. And then we got all the way to the climax and they were like, well, look, if I read this book, I will find the fact and then I will tell the fact to my friend and then my friend and I will discuss the fact. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, but that what? That's a red herring. What? That's a red herring. That's not the end. See, that's what I No, think. it wasn't the end. What I meant is how all of this all of this like tension 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 yeah. tension tension builds to a conversation. And that happens <laughs> in a play, not right, in a movie. Right. right. This would be a phenomenal play. <laughs> I, it really, I really would. I didn't think about that. That would be great. I think because because the setting is so contained, because mm-hmm. you can get beautiful spatial effects on stage, because you can play with what appears where, when, and what gets noticed when on stage. Not the same way you do on screen, but you can. You could have set this entire thing in the one room, mm-hmm. sure. right in the autopsy room, and this would have been a brilliant play, and that big reveal of my god she's a witch this is what she wants in conversation between the two characters that's how you do it that that's how story happens on stage in a movie i was like are you what (laughs) what she can slash your flesh open from a million miles away and catch fire without burning but she can't be like Yo, this is what I want. <laughs> Somehow, like she couldn't find any other way of getting through to you. Um, so I was a little. I I felt like the the concept was really scary. Like the idea of what she was and what was happening was scary to me. The execution was scary. The setting was scary. Um, the way it affected their relationship was scary. But then it all kind of came tumbling down for me in that one moment of like, we found it in a book and we talked about it. I was like. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a scary way of finding this out. That's not a scary way of, of sorting through this. <laughs> it's also in like Leviticus, which is like mm-hmm. the rules part. Right. <laughs> you right. know, it's like, that's the least exciting book. Yeah. <laughs> in the Bible. I mean, that's terrible for me to say, but like Exodus, yes. Genesis, Yeah, get yes. running, get like, running. Yeah. Let's go. Yes, we are getting the Jews out of Egypt. Well, yes, that's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> but... Leviticus is just a bunch of rules. Don't eat of the cloven hoofed. Okay, yeah. deal. Good. Yeah. Yes. I also feel like, yeah, like um, Quakers, weren't they very much more concerned with the New Testament? Yeah. Or yeah. no? You, well, I think that, I don't know. That's a great question because I would say that they were pretty Old Testament in the way that they lived. And I would yeah, think. Yeah, but they were, they were more like, they weren't Catholic. That's why no. they left. Right. Well, they didn't want Church of like, England. Right. Right, they wanted to be more, I don't want to say liberal, because that's not really what I mean, but they wanted to practice differently. Yeah. Worst kind of so, liberal ever, yeah. <laughs> the Puritans. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not necessarily sure about that. Uh, that's a great question, whether they were more uh, imbued with the New or the Old Testament on that. Uh, I laugh at your thing about Leviticus. Mine was always Psalms. It's like, oh my God, poems for like 800 pages. <laughs> this is a nightmare. Some of them are like two lines. Oh my God, when, when will Psalms? ever end but um, but then you get to song of songs and you were like oh snap biblical porn yeah right. ah, <laughs> so many verses about thighs yeah. <laughs> so that's funny <laughs> but, 
the, the thing that you mentioned, Mary, about uh, the hallways keeping going and stuff, uh, you know, what I kind of get from that, because there's a line where the daughter or the daughter, the girlfriend, who's really kind of a throwaway thing, uh, Emma, is uh, first down there. And she's like, well, you told me about this, but this wasn't what I expected. And she goes, this just keeps going on and on, these halls that you can't see from one end to the other. And he's like, yeah, three generations just kept building on it. And so I saw that like history. And I saw they were kind of going through history and ignoring the problems. Mom mm-hmm. dies, ignoring the problems. Right. Instead of remodeling, they yeah. just add on. Yeah. But I was absolutely disappointed when he pulled out the book. And then I rejoiced because this is when it became one of the best ghost stories because that's usually where the movie ends, right? It's always mm-hmm. that they find the, the secret sandwich that the ghost came back and is really hungry for and they give it the secret sandwich and then everything's okay. There might be one more <laughs> shock thing, but somebody's going to die. I always look at ghost stories like they're the scariest things for the first half and then they become sl- small claims court of the supernatural. You've got this aggrieved <laughs> fucking party that nobody's listening to and the, the party that has offended them is ignoring them so they have to go and grab a third party to to be the judiciary to To get them (laughs) to get the stuff back and it's always this thing of like oh once the curse is gone story idea ghost judge judy (laughs) (laughs) but you you basically have judge booty trademark (laughs) nice i like that so we we have this thing where normally it ends you know uh, for some reason they're always supposed to be like morally just ghosts they're they're murdered and maybe okay they're gonna stop when it's the grandfather killed the grandmother and the grandmother comes back kills the grandfather okay great poetic justice but what do you do yeah Yeah, you can't do anything but why would you stop and especially if you're a girl that was murdered in the Salem witch trials where the entire Torture. society, your entire society tells you to fuck off. Yeah. Why would you ever stop? And I that's wouldn't. what I think is great. This movie's supposed to stop also, after like dad dies. A, but then, they wouldn't stop no matter right. what. Like I feel like if anyone killed you for any right. reason. Why would you ever like stop? So this is the first horror movie. Specifically Mary Kay. Other yeah. people, I don't know, but yeah. Mary Kay. This is the first, well, there was another ghost story that did this, a movie called Venom a while back, but it's the idea that why would I ever stop? I'm an entity that is able to touch the corporeal and affect it, and I've been ignored, whatever it was, my entire life, and now I'm angry. And so this is one of the first ghost stories I've ever seen where normally it would end after dad gets all bent up and then he gets out and then maybe there's a shock device. But no, this says I'm not stopping. So it takes the red herring of that book, which we normally see in a movie and says, we're going to give you 10 more minutes. It's going to devastate you. You know what's going to happen? <laughs> it's going to reset itself, and the curse is going to be I, shipped somewhere else to kill more people. And they're like, well, why is it picking on us? It's like, well, why not us? Why did that girl get picked on back in Salem? Right. It's like, no, and it's so all I vengeance. Love, yeah. I love the ending. I just did not love the the execution in that moment. Like, the script has been, like, doing its thing right. for an hour and change, and then for, like, a really critical 15 minutes. It's like, or I could just do all the exposition I've been carefully avoiding mm-hmm. right. for an hour and 15 minutes, and then I'll go back to being pretty good. Like, yeah. then I'll go back to, like, holding it down. But it, 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 it felt to me like it kind of 
everything had been set up, set up, set up, set up, smart, 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 ground to this weird little halt where it was like, I don't know how else to do this. And when I look at the entire rest of the construction right. of the story of the world, all the circumstances, I don't, I don't know the way around it. I don't know how they figure out who, where she came from or what she wants without it panning out the way it did. I don't have a better idea yet. I just, I just watched this movie. I'm now talking about it with people for the first time, but it did feel like, right. Like, yeah. like such an important moment yeah. was handled and, so poorly compared to the entire rest yeah. of the, and even weirder is that they already had the visuals there. So I do agree with that. It's like, show me, don't tell me. I mean, right. they mm-hmm. folded that old thing that was stuck in her stomach with her tooth embedded in it. And they folded. Yeah, that was fucking horrifying. Can we talk about that yeah. too? Yeah, oh, yeah. The tooth part? Yeah. OMG. <laughs> Not only did they pull a tooth, they made mm-hmm. her swallow it. Mm-hmm. And cast a spell on her in so doing. Yeah, so, and that's part of the concept that I think did work for me. Like, most of it, I was like, I don't care for this. But I did like that in trying to prevent something from happening, they made it happen. Because I feel like that mm-hmm. is how things work. Yeah. Like, in trying to prevent the prophecy, you bring it to fruition. Yeah. Right, like, exactly. Throughout literature, and then also in horror movies, like... Yeah. If you want to die, make a plan. Yeah. Just make right. any plan. <laughs> That's yeah. bad yeah. business. And, and it tends to happen in social events as well. You know, so it's, right. a, it's, a, it's a very interesting point. So I know we're, we're bouncing around on things. Perhaps for people who haven't seen this, it might be good to talk about. We've talked about this woman being tortured. So we have this dead mm-hmm. body on a table. We should probably tell them the things that they actually find out. Because there's these really interesting things that are really specific. Let's get into the let's get into the body horror of the thing. Okay. And before we even get into the actual body horror, I just need to establish because it's the only thing I have to say about this. I swear to God, I'm just not smart today. That I don't care what they did to her body. I don't care what happened in the autopsy. Everything was fine until they started writing on a chalkboard. I can't <laughs> chalkboards. Chalkboards actually, are terrible. You texted me that, and I wrote, "Bitch, I wrote that down." Because mm-hmm. nobody has chalkboards anymore. Right, right. At most, you have like chalk paint on your kitschy pottery barn. Oh my god, style I can't wall framed. Right, hugely. But and then you don't even have chalk. You have a chalk pen. Right. Nobody I has like even, a chalkboard with a piece of I chalk can't, anymore. We have to stop saying the word chalk. Even the word chalk like makes my flesh <laughs> crawl. Okay. Like, I mean, I'm so barf. few people even have whiteboards now. Like it's all. Smart but it's boards. so much more efficient. You could just. Wipe it clean and keep going instead of like, uh, uh. okay, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love when that kind not, of thing happens though, because I did not have this kind of weirdness about chalk as a child. Obviously, I couldn't have survived elementary school. I'm old enough that we had chalk. Mine was fingernails. But, if I see in a movie nah! where someone's, you know, uh oh, I've hit on another one. So we're not going to talk about mean, that. Oh, wait, but fingernails. I just meant finger. Fingernails on the chalkboard? Or oh, fingernails no. Uh, my thing was if somebody's like trying to get away and they tear a fingernail, ooh, 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 uh, ooh. that's when I immediately, I'm almost ready to faint. So I can watch all sorts of insane things, but if I see that, I'm ready to fall yeah. right over. Megan's thing, she's not here, but Megan's thing is broken bones. So I immediately mm. thought about her when they talked about how she'd been basically hobbled and her right. wrists were broken. Right. Um, but my thing is teeth and eyes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can get mm-hmm. that. And yeah. when they talked about how they pulled one of her to one of her teeth, I was like, 
like every muscle in my body clenched because I, I mm, like I have nightmares where my teeth fall out. So do I. I or like I get punched and then I spit out a tooth. Among the other body horrors, teeth was yeah. one of them in this. Um, the first one we hear about though is like uh, the waist, the corset. Yeah, yeah, her waist so, being too small. I thought that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, I thought that that was really cool because it was it was kind of like why that one, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of a clue because to me, I don't see that as a person. I don't see Jane Doe. It's never named at the end. It doesn't matter if she's Sarah Carpenter or whatever, or one of the Goody Johnson or whatever. I think she's an uh, she's this constant fury of this yeah. kind of treatment and violence. She's an amalgam. Yeah, through history. Sure. Through history. So I, I think when they start going, oh, well, I saw people who were human trafficked that were like this. I think right. that's actually like cause response. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why both me and Mary were both like, oh, you think her waist is exceptionally small too? Oh, good. I don't have to look like right. this. Like, there, There's a reason why we still identify with yeah. it, I think. And I think yeah. it's the idea of the course is like you're forced into submission and conformity, right? So, and you can't breathe. You literally cannot yeah. breathe. So that would never be you considered can't breathe, torture, which means especially. If you can't breathe. You can't raise your voice properly. You can't eat properly. Right. You can't. Right sing you can't dance right you can't run like there's so much you can't do if you can't breathe right breathe. right like, it's not just the metaphor of not breathing it's the metaphor of everything that being robbed of your breath yeah prevents you from doing or becoming and you're being forced into that as a conformity that would never be considered torture during that time that's just yeah. how you're supposed to be literally shaping you to be part of the community. And I think that that's very telling that the first bit of torture that we hear about isn't what anybody would consider torture. Like, but but I but, think putting that corset as the first thing of our things that they find out kind of made me think all the time of, you know, what is this a correlation to? So it's like the next thing I think we see, and I'm not sure if I'm in the right order, but they open up her mouth Mm-hmm. And we see that there's no tongue and it's not surgically removed and it's not Mm-mm. chewed off. It's torn out. You know, this yeah. is like forced horribly. And I was like, yeah, pull the tongue out of the woman, right? You know, mm-hmm. don't I speak against authority. Tongue, you know. I believe the, the broken joints is first. Okay. Because they start externally, like they, they right. the autopsy works yeah. out in. So they discover that her limbs are shattered. Is the word they use, I think, yeah. before they open her mouth to discover that, that her tongue is missing. And that's what prompts um, the father to say that he's seen this before. Right. That with the hobbling and the tongue missing, he it reminds him of a sex trafficking case he saw in Norfolk. Right. And the- also, they say they say um, Norfolk correctly. Well done. Because Grantham, Virginia is not real. Right. But, I looked uh, it up <laughs> just to see. Yeah, Grantham's not real. Um, they said VCU, and I was like, okay, so they're like, they must be relatively close to Richmond, but in most of Virginia, something's kind of close. Like, you're rarely more than an hour or two away from Richmond, wherever you are in Virginia. But... Uh, yeah, they say Norfolk, not Norfolk. Right. I was, I was thrilled. <laughs> I noticed that too, only because you're my friend, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that came up. What? What? Who? Did, you had to correct somebody because they were making fun of the way I said Norfolk, and you were like, "I think she would know." But it was on I don't an know. episode. Of- oh, I don't remember. But it was it was probably a dude. Probably a dude. That's what I thought. Actually, I was like, it seems like a man thing, but I can't remember which one. <laughs> Yeah, I, actually, I really siblings, can't though. I did, that's why I didn't say it aloud because I didn't want to be like my my typical. Say Norfolk. <laughs> my sister in law. My sister in law sometimes says Norfolk. Sometimes she says Norfolk. My siblings mostly say Norfolk. 
but they're, I mean, they're both correct. One is just like a little bit more old fashioned than the other. And I don't know how I got to the point of using that all the time, but I did. Nah, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, so I have a lot of Appalachia that shows up every so often in, in my mm-hmm. conversation. So if I say rural, people are like, what? <laughs> rural or horror. You know, here I am a horror guy, but I say horror. So it's mm-hmm. not horror. Yeah. It's horror. It's like, what yeah, did you I just say? Really har. Accent too, yeah, like, so I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's like har, matey. But uh, yeah, it's like, that's just how it is for me. We're now going to interrupt ourselves for just a second to tell you about something cool real quick. What we wanted to talk to you about today was this other podcast, and it comes from Book Riot, which you guys may have heard me plug shamelessly. I write for them and love them. This podcast is called Red or Dead, and it is a bi-weekly mystery fiction podcast dedicated to the worlds of mystery and thriller literature. The hosts are mystery megathan Rincy and librarian Katie, and in each episode they cover a broad and diverse range of writers and subgenres, and they focus less on the mainstream names that you already know and love. They talk about everything from suspense to thrillers to the podcasting world's favorite mm. true crime. Da, da, da. We love real killers. I do kind of wish that I didn't and need to know everything so that I can avoid that shit. Anyway, mm-hmm. you were saying. <laughs> so get your mystery and thriller related news and of course recommendations for books new and old that you will want to hide in your freezer. Uh, you can find Red or Dead on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher of choice. And while you're there, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe them and us. Yes. If you do both, you Woo-doo-doo-doo. get extra credit. Woo. Extra credit. So, I, I guess, what do you think was the point of, like, for me, tongue cut out is like saying, you know, Speak no Silence, evil, yeah. you know, shut shut up and sit in a corner. What do you think about broken wrists and ankles? It's the sense that there's no escaping. Like, if that's where right. you start with trying to, like, figure out if someone's a witch or punish them for being a witch, it's like, okay, well, then you've, you've eliminated a lot of possibility for this person to even just function, let alone, mm. let alone care for them. Like, you've made them helpless. Right. Especially um, then. Like, now that would be hard enough to recover from. But mm-hmm. then... Mm-hmm. You know, like, they didn't mm-hmm. even know you needed to wash your fucking hands, you know? Like, right. That would have been... Also, immediately yeah. after, so I watched this, and I, like, put my notes in the outline and stuff, and a friend had been like, oh, Outlander's on Netflix, you should check it out. <laughs> it'll, it'll fill a nice little historical hole for you in terms of, like, Game of Thrones is over, this is set, you know, in history, and there's right. going to be a bunch of sex in it. And I was like, great. <laughs> like, I like Scottish accents, let's do this. And uh, they comment on when she's first, like, arrived in ancient Scotland Mm -hmm. about how um, her skin is perfect, like, unblemished by disease or injury. Right. I think is the phrase they use, that it's unusual for a woman her age to have skin that nice. And I thought about that looking at this this corpse that looks like a porcelain doll. She's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it definitely kind of stuck with me that even at the time she shouldn't have looked like this no like, right because something... so many people had like smallpox right like, that was like there the main some, yeah. thing yeah. so that, if you had milkmaid skin that was yeah, a real selling if, point well, and all of her teeth he thinks, which she has except thinks, for the one right if he thinks she looks like she's in her mid to late 20s right 
Is it possible she's much like that stood out to me as a like indicator that like ooh, it's not going to be what it seems. She may not be from our world or our time. When the father says mm, it appears to be right because if she looks like she's in her late twenties and she's from Salem two hundred years ago, she might well be like seventeen, sixteen, and mm-hmm. that's just what she looks like after a rough life. Except that. She's also looks flawless. So then the, the, the mixed up signals there was like, oh, something else is at play. Right. Something, something is afoot. Something is uh, supernatural here. And I think uh, at one point the father says something like, let's try and visualize all these internal injuries on the outside. What would she look like? And he's like, she'd be unrecognizable. She'd be mutilated. Right. She'd be beyond being able to look at. And that was kind of a key to me that, I mean, all the things that are in this that are her tortures, there's not one that's was used in the Salem witch trials. These right. are things that happened before or after. You know, so the mutilated vagina, there's no way they'd be doing that as, as Puritans. Uh, no. They wouldn't be cutting out tongues. These are not the things that they did. The worst, well, they, they starved you. They psychologically tortured you. Uh, then they hung you. And they, they put they pressed they, someone too. They, the man well, they pressed, pressed him to death. Yeah, they put stones yeah. on top of him. So they pressed a guy to death. But a lot of the things that we think about for the Salem witch trials, it's actually Europe. That's mm-hmm. actually the Witchfinder General and stuff that was happening in Europe. They burnt them there. They beheaded them there. Uh, they tortured them with uh, sticks and knives and all this stuff. But they didn't do that in the New World. Uh, so what I get from this when he's saying that is that we're already in a different era. Like, if you're going to have a Venus flytrap, you're not going to give a 17-year-old girl, a 20-year-old girl that's had smallpox. It's not going to work today. So it is maturing. It's not a person. This is right. like, what, what do you call that? That, yeah, that, uh, um, the, uh, the Jewish thing is, um, golem. It's like a golem. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 So this is like a casing for this rage of over and over and over again through history, this happening again and again and again to the oppressed here women. But the idea that the, the torture and the pain keeps happening over and over again, and it's not being addressed. And I can think of a specific, a, a thing that could have been more, that could have been done visually, that could have been done in a really proactive storytelling way to, to share that idea, like to make that idea clear enough without telegramming. Mm-hmm. That's simply to lean into the anachronism. So I had a big issue with the song. Me too. Because I was like, did this bitch just keep lying there in the ground like, hum, 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 bored, 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 waiting to be dug up. Then one day she's like lying somewhere in the 50s and here's a song and she's like, that's my jam. That's my song from now on. Yeah, I do. I couldn't get behind this song either. It didn't make any sense to me. It was just like a horror movie trope that was like a throwaway. It was like... This song doesn't go with this. Oh, really? I see. I th- yeah. uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of an old-fashioned horror guy. Yeah, it's on. It's too on the nose. It's on the nose, and it's it's again at, at this point in the story, it's 50 years old, right? And she existed for 150 years before that. What was she doing before that? Just not playing no music, not listening to no music, not doing nothing. Like you just had to like find out by accident that she was going to murder you. Like she somebody had it on the song. radio when they were transporting her to and from a morgue. I don't get and it. She was like, "There's another." And her little toes started being like, "Ah, ah, 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 That's about. That's about. Like she was just into it. I don't know. So, like, 
they, but if they'd leaned into the anachronism, if there had been things about her body and the ritual that yeah. were anachronistic, like, yes, this, like, like things that could only have happened in the last 50 years, things that could only have happened 700 years ago. Yeah. Then we understand that this body is not, this is not a person, it is a, an entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you have like a sort of Carmilla Dracula situation, mm-hmm. because, which would be cool. But you got to commit, you know, you got to commit to the convention. Um, And the other anachronism that I just, I mean, I don't even know if it's technically an anachronism. It felt that way to me. But the bell on the toe. (laughs) I was like, cool idea. Why don't you just set it in a time period in which that was the norm? Mm -hmm. Rather than him be like, oh, I'm a little bit of a traditionalist. Like. Come on. Like, that was like in a workshop moment where it was like, well, why does he use a bell? That's that's old, outdated technology. I don't know. Well, I didn't I didn't hate that, given that they, you know, like they, they're still working in the old thing. But I also like I kind of in that moment, I was like, my dude, like, go all the way, go all the way. Let it be the commentary. Let it be a, like, that's kind of our thing. Yeah, like we right. still work more, in the family more or less. We still work. Yeah. We still work in the family morgue. We've it's it's rather than being it's renovated after tradition. all these years, we keep it's a adding. Right. Adding. That yeah, I could this get is behind. this is this is yeah. this is kind of what we do, and also it makes us money that this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It makes us money that we use this old ass elevator that use, that needs a key. It makes us money like people. People like the nostalgia get something, of it. Yeah. Get something out of that. Right. So we stick with it, not because we think it's practical, we would love to update the place, but because it makes us money. Right, and it's expensive to remodel. So why don't just keep living history without asking why? Let's rewrite this movie. (laughs) Let's do it. I was doing that when I was watching it. I was like, I really want to be liking this. The concept is super cool. Yeah. But I just, the execution of it didn't work for me personally. I really wanted it to be more of like a, I wanted it to be more mystery based horror than like um I don't know like like it was almost home invasion you know where they were like trapped in their home and they couldn't get out Mm -hmm. but I wanted it to be more of like I don't know I guess this is kind of answering the question that you wrote in here Scott about like when does the spell start Mm -hmm. I think it starts as soon as they touch her yeah because she's like stop you know like of course like don't do that and that's why leave my body were, alone yeah leave when my they were body doing alone. the autopsy with that music playing mm-hmm. i was like this is bad for y'all like i get that you need to dissociate but it it just seems so irreverent and i get mm-hmm. that you need that to be the case because this is your job like you don't know this woman like you have to get out of it so that you can do your job otherwise you'll just be upset by the the fact that you just tore open her stomach. Like, that was one of the most visceral moments. Like, when they opened her mouth and when, after they, what did you write in here, Mary? Like, they cracked her sternum like a walnut. Right. And we're like, hmm, said, okay, yes. let's peel back her perfect breast and then open her, um, these bones have stab marks all over them. Weird. Let's keep listening to our Bruce Springsteen. I was like, I mean, I know that's whoa, not what whoa, was playing, whoa. but it was, you know. I was about to say, please don't impugn the boss. Do not, do not include him mm-hmm. in our in our in the witchcraft hunt. I mean, you have no ver- no control over when someone plays your music. It's, I mean, he's <laughs> exhaustive. 
Thank you. The, the thing that got me in those scenes was the rib uh, cracking was mm -hmm. one of them, but it was not the rib cracking. It happened with the dead burnt guy and it happened with her when we don't see the action we see the body just slowly jerk back and forth around the head yeah like it just kind of yeah. la lifelessly moved up and down that reminded me of like real world shit so it was like really well, disturbing I, yeah and Very sad sad i think that's the yes. thing there's a sadness to a lot of what's going on there. They bring up right. loneliness early on. And well, because that head motion, like that's how we communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. Like it's such an important and such a subtle, like something we don't think about at all until you pull a muscle in your neck and then <laughs> one day you can't turn your head and you're like, oh God, I didn't realize I moved my head this much. It's terrible. But um, I, Mary Kay and I often text each other while we're watching the movies. It's a fun <laughs> thing for us. Sometimes it makes it into the, into the outlines or show notes later. But... Um, <laughs> I mentioned, so when we did the episode about Raw, I had just had my breast reduction surgery. And it came up a lot because that movie is so much about... Sure. Body. Bodies and meat and... Yeah. So um, as I was watching this, I was like, man, a year ago, I was lying on a table, like, unconscious, with my body like ripped open like that like just cut open mm -hmm. and like all my pieces like scattered so they could be reassembled right um which is a really i mean i did that on purpose i wanted that and it's still like watching this movie and realizing how similar that must have looked to me lying on a table with magic marker all over my tits like mm, right with them just like yeah. diced up like yeah. into different like cuts of meat so that they could be put back together um i was like oh God, like, how do, how does anyone do that? How does anyone do this job? Like, I love my doctor, Dr. White. Hey, uh, she would never, I don't know why she would be listening to this. But, um, <laughs> but I, uh, I, how does anyone get that? How else do you get through that? Mm -hmm. And there's something to me that's a little extra cruel or sad about this particular family suffering this way when so much of what they do is, like that distance, how else do they survive what they do? Mm -hmm. They need that distance. And yet that same mentality of just following orders, just doing my job. Right. Led to so much of this, this woman, this golem, this, this entity suffering, all the suffering she holds. So much of it came from people who just existed in their society. Right. Who just did what they were supposed to do, who just followed the rules, who just followed their orders. That's kind of what I saw. Yeah. And that sadness so. as well. Because you, you are looking at, uh, like I was going to ask, do you think that there's anything to like at all about Jane Doe as an entity or a character? Because the people that, w the only people that She's we can empathize hero. with are, are the people that she destroys, that we find out all this stuff about them, you know, their frailties and That's things. That's interesting. She's the hero. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. pulling for her. Exactly, right? I was like, once I she was is getting ripped like, yes, to pieces, him, right? Yeah, yes. she's getting ripped to pieces. And, and yet, you know, if we're looking at this like this is a ghost story, she's, you know, she's going to be the, the, the baddie. So I thought that that was very interesting that uh, you're, you're talking about that. Because I saw a sadness through the whole thing. And when we were talking about the... Um, the uh the two guys just doing the job so mm -hmm. full disclosure i was a crash firefighter in the air force and so i used mm -hmm. to go into fires and things like that we had that's a, super intense and very cool 
yeah, super intense, kind of crazy, and and you saw a few things that were a little bit disturbing in the in the and time. And also, thank you for doing that for us. <laughs> You're welcome. I was thinking of you while I was doing it. <laughs> we know. <laughs> but um, the uh, thing was, we we had this bit the where podcast we, is staying real military. Like we're just going to keep leaning yeah. into. Military people, military families. We're just going to keep going for it. Yay. So uh, we had this thing called Born Again Hard, basically, which was we're going to be unshockable. We had gallows humor. We would say crispy critters when somebody got burnt alive in a house because you were kind of, when it first happens, it doesn't matter how many times you see it. It is a major shock. And mm-hmm. it doesn't look real and all that's so great. But uh, we made jokes. In fact, you'd be like dour in the, in the truck and then somebody would have to make a joke that wasn't funny at all. And we'd laugh because we needed to. Mm-hmm. And, and right. that kind of thing would happen a lot. There were, there's a weirdness when it's duty that takes over. Uh, it's puke later was basically. <laughs> duty. Mm-hmm. You know, puke later. Whatever happens, puke later. And you do. So I kind of saw where that was but i still could understand because even when we were doing that it felt cruel right it Mm -hmm. felt like we were still like somehow sterilizing life by doing that Mm -hmm. and it's necessary but it's still it still had that thing so i saw a sadness to that uh, that desensitization that happens but yeah they're they're just replaying the same problem that's happened over and over and over again i was just following orders uh you know it's just all i'm doing is focusing on my one thing whatever happened to this person doesn't matter it's none of my business and that's how the bad guys do shit over and over well, and over again. And at the same time, you have the issue where she has, like, once you've been othered, mm-hmm. you can either embody or or act against right. your othering. And either way, you reinforce the othering. Yes. So if she were to become a benevolent being, then it would just prove that the she is the exception, right? Like, the, the real witches right. are the thing to be scared of. And by by taking her vengeance... She becomes the thing that they tried yeah. to prevent. She was yeah. Be. yeah, right. Like you treat well, someone, you treat someone like, like an animal, right? And what, like I, I, it, it, like a hoodlum. Uh, I have, they're all I have hoodlums. Too much of a, I have too much hoodlums. of a head cold to, to do this as elegantly as I'd like, but it definitely made me think of um, Franz Fanon's fact of blackness, and um, and the idea that once you have been, mm-hmm. once you have been that profoundly othered um you can either you fall on one side of it yeah you can either you can either be the monster you've been made to be and there is a freedom in that and and an entrapment in that or you can fight against it and there is a freedom and an entrapment in that too but either way you are now chained to that othering Mm -hmm. right whether it's because you're fighting it or embodying it but you are you are never going to be free of that othering right the damage is cannot be redone or taken away it's it's always there and i think to to your point about like making jokes like macabre jokes or um in this case they were listening to like the rock music while they were doing the autopsy that's a coping skill like i understand that in life it's just like in the world of the horror movie right don't do that (laughs) like you can't can't do that and if you're in a movie um yeah so speaking of people who are like doing their job 
um, I think so often you feel like people, or not you, you, but like the viewer feels like people who follow orders um, just don't have any independent thought or have just decided that they're just going to totally detach from whatever they're doing. And I, I don't think that that is necessarily the case in life or in this movie because mm-hmm. we see, right. you know, Tommy, as soon as he's like, oh, she was tortured to death. He He's more active about like, we need to go back over there, look right. at her again, figure this out. Because maybe in doing that, because if it is a traditional ghost story, like you might, like you mentioned, she wants something. Mm-hmm. So if you can help her finish whatever she didn't finish when she was alive then maybe the threat is neutralized but in this case she didn't she wasn't threatened until they tortured and murdered her and then it's like a residual sort of rage that she is made to embody like mary was saying and that makes their job impossible no matter how good they were at it no matter how well they could follow orders (laughs) right they're just straight up as soon as they grabbed her they yep. uh, that's the jimson weed that's the hallucinogen yeah. that's the rattlesnake bite whatever it is that's the curse right and it's and that's them that's why i feel like i feel like had had there been more like lean into the idea of into the the golem mythology mm-hmm. and the idea of this this body encapsulating all of that hurt and especially considering that you've got a great cast like the performances were fantastic especially given that the dialogue, like, I think if we just read the script, we would maybe not be as excited about this mm-hmm. as yeah. we have been no, watching they had, it. No, they were great. Well, the yeah. actors are, the, are the, great. The dialogue, yeah, the dialogue is not always as elegant mm-hmm. as right. it But the delivery is be. really good. Yeah, exactly. delivery is really the, good. The, commitment, the yeah. commitment is tremendous. Good actors so. can, can sell something like that, especially, uh, say, like a horror film. Not always there's going to be a lot of great character depth. And so right. just the little things of them looking at each other and the smiles that they had, I believe that they workshopped that. My thought would be the idea of how to get around that is they already had it there. I think what you do is you never open the fucking book or you could open right. the book, but all you need to do is have that thing, that, that bit that the tooth was in, have mm-hmm. one of them fold it and figure it the fuck out. You know, as soon as they see, they don't have to read what Leviticus says or anything like that. They just look and they go, holy shit. You know, uh, whatever that symbol is means something. And have Mm -hmm. one of them see it and the other doesn't. You know, have the Mm -hmm. son be the one who's like, oh, shit, this is something big. And he's trying to get dad out of there. And then all hell breaks loose. You know, instead of it being, "Uh, can you kill me but leave my son alone and I think that's when it's so dark because it's almost like she goes yeah sure I'll bend you into a pretzel I'll let him go up one story and that's how far I'll let him go (laughs) and that's where that whole thing of the song and I guess maybe the two haunting of Hill House this bitch the two things things that uh, I I thought were really kind of cool but are certainly old horror movie tropes was the bell and that song (laughs) being used as a sadistic thing Mm-hmm. Like the idea I'm, that the spirit would be on the other end of that thing going, open up, open up, open up in the voice of the sheriff. And then it turns into that song. I was like, this movie just went past yeah, that what was I expected cool, things. That's cool. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm all about a song being used the, like, sure. in that function. I, I'm a, like, I studied sound design in college. Like this is something I really love. 
I just was frustrated with that particular choice of song because, like I said, yeah, it 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 spoke to me as something that like whoop, whoop. had there been multiple anachronistic issues with the mm-hmm. body we're dealing with, like had the entity itself been an anachronistic in multiple ways, I would have folded that into like, oh god, she just keeps picking stuff up as she goes. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, or maybe different Fascinating. songs. Maybe right. different songs like folk. Uh, they could have done like nah, hymns, yeah. like the get old timey. Get rid of these songs, fucking hymns. writers. It's time for us to get in here because I'm thinking like <laughs> uh, murder ballad. They could have done pretty Polly. Oh murder yeah, ballad, you know, and uh, just uh, there's something that came from the 1500s, right. and you could have mm. had her them playing. Uh, I mean, people have done pretty Polly up till today. You know, uh, there are right. folkies. So that there's are out there doing there's it. stuff that that could have been used that would be not anachronistic to this character right. that we might still recognize or still appreciate, mm-hmm. or it could have been multiple songs. Right. But do something stylistically to the sound that indicates mm-hmm. to us that this is no longer coming through the radio normally. Right. She's doing this. There's some particular form of of rate or of distortion or. Just some, just something to indicate that she is doing. She is picking her songs yeah. as she goes. Have the radio fall on the ground and it keeps playing. <laughs> it's broken, and uh, right. the voice starts coming from those uh, cabinets where they have Ooh, the dead yeah, bodies. Oh yeah, that's way cooler. Yeah, yeah. that one. Right. So that's there's cool. any the vents, number of ways. The vents where the cat was. That would be really interesting. But there's any number of ways that that could have happened. But in defense but. of that song, I'll tell you why I defend that song, and it's okay. personal. And it's because mm-hmm. uh, uh, you had a pastor as a father. I was in uh, a fundamentalist uh, religion that ended up being kind of a cult. But it was all about reading the Bible as reality and truth. And mm. the songs that they would sing, like my mom would sing, were these songs. These are songs that are saccharine sweet, that are all about shut up, do the right thing. If you mm-hmm. frown, that's how the devil gets into you. And so mm-hmm. I love the, the, the idea that this song was commenting on basically that whole thing of you will conform and mommy's going to tell you that and you're going to worry about the devil. And who's the devil? Well, it depends on the song. In that song, it's a literal oh. devil. But so I'm you know saying, what I would have loved is if they had worked backwards, maybe started with the song or something more contemporary. But every time she triggers the radio, mm, yeah, it Ooh, works backwards yeah. in time until they think, oh, we figured it out. It's Salem. But then the next song is something even older. Right. Ooh, and even older. Cool. And even older. So then, like, no, it's it's not just Salem. Like, she is, right. she is right. holding space for all of this. Um, I think that would have been, like, that's, I don't think the song itself was wrong. I just took issue with where it fit into like how it fit into the convention they're right. establishing that this is yeah. a Salem witch who is enacting vengeance. Yeah, and for me, it's Why purely personal. Yeah, for me, it's purely personal. It perfectly epitomizes to me that aggressive, passive aggressive, right, friendliness that is really viciousness that is forcing mm-hmm. you to be and obey. And it's just such a, if you read the lyrics, it's such a twisted song. But that was a big hit. And little girls sang it all the time, let the sun shine in, because it sounds so happy. Mm-hmm. And it's not at all. It's, it's terrible. And so It's like I, that heard, semi-charm live song. Like it sounds like a shopping montage, but it's about crystal meth. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or every breath you take <laughs> is really about nuclear war. Um, I have another question. 
Is Jane Doe regenerating? Mm. And if so, to what end? Left untouched. If she were just like left in the ground to just chill, she would look like her most pristine self and her eyes would be normal. Mm. And that the act of unearthing her gives her the cloudy eyes. Yeah. Mm. And then the act of touching yep. her, like every like every further violation triggers more interaction from her. Yeah. Interesting. And all of her interaction is just terrible. You know, it's all terrifying. Um, so I really feel like her natural state is almost fully regenerated. Uranium two thirty four. Like that maybe her. The, yeah, that maybe her her most true state left completely alone. Like if we were to just like sink her to the bottom of the ocean. And let her be for the rest, for, for all of time. Yeah. Hypothetically, she would just look flawless for all of time. Except that she won't because we keep hurting girls and women right. over and over. So she will never rest. Not really. Like She can't rest until women are left the fuck alone. Yeah. She's like plutonium in the ground <laughs> is what she's like. You know, so, but uh, the half-life, who knows what it might be. I really like what you had to say there because I thought, felt the same way about the clouding eyes and things. I see it as this is a trap, a bear trap being reset. You know, she's ready to completely discorporate in, until she gets her man or her man or whoever it is that's in charge that she decides to destroy that time indiscriminate she doesn't care who it is could be two kids playing in a sandbox that you know it's just a really deep sandbox and they find her and it's gonna end up poorly that way because she's just this rage that's gonna bowl through but so for me it was she was regenerating uh i I, the thing i didn't really go for was dad breaking into i thought that that was a little too literal yeah Yeah. it seemed unnecessary cloud and hers go clear Yeah, it seemed unnecessary to me because what's really happening here is she is going to make them kill each other. You know, Mm -hmm. there's before the rains come, they're telling you that it's going to be sunny days for like five days in a row. They're mm-hmm. saying it's going to be beautiful. And then as soon as they start talking or start moving her around, they go, oh, this is a storm you may not want to mess with. You know, mm-hmm. they're saying things like that. And it starts to rumble. We never see rain. We never see a drop mm-hmm. of water. So the whole thing could be that she is driving them mad. She is terrifying them and driving them mad till they kill each other. And there's nothing that says it couldn't be that. You know, so because, uh, because I would argue that. Right. I would argue that for um, Austin, Austin's the son, yes, yes. Tommy's the father. Austin, um, he's the one who, who cared so much about the why and who was trying to piece this together from the moment they began. For him, the hobbling mm-hmm. and the clouding was like the, the, the impetus he needed to warrant killing him. Like for him to have seen that oh. suffering on her body... Yeah. He saw that suffering on her body. He he knew what that trauma should have felt like and looked like. Right. He knew what it was going to look like on the living body of his father. Right. Right. That to him was worth putting a scalpel where it needed to go. Mm. Mm. Um, That's cool. Cool. So to me, to me, that made that actually made sense that she was like that, especially as a turn for her. That if like she knows that they have figured her out. They know what she wants. Right. She wants them to suffer the way she suffered. She's like, okay, so suffer the way I suffered. But now actually suffer the way I suffered. Right. right. The hobbling was nothing. The tongue was nothing. All the stab. That's not it. That's not what the suffering was. The suffering was standing under this door and knowing that when it opens, 
your life is over no matter what you did. Yep. Yeah. The suffering is knowing that when that door opens, there's going to be a trail of dead bodies behind you that you can't explain. And you don't have to. You shouldn't have to. But you can't. And your life is fucking over. And then, even as you're staring down the barrel of the end of your life as you know it, to have your life actually physically ripped away from you. Like it was nothing. Like... like whatever last shred of hope or belief you may have had that you could, that you, your innocence would win out ends in you just tumbling down a staircase. Like, right. That's it. No, no, no explanation, no promise, no meaning to it. Yeah. And your legacy will be that as far as anyone can tell, you were a monster. Yeah. You killed you your dad. What you got. Yeah. You killed your dad um, and then you fell. So that, that all actually worked yeah. pretty well for me. I like that. Yeah, I think somebody asked the question, is she over-sexualized? I was like, well, she's certainly sexualized. Mm -hmm. And I think, but I think that's very significant to the story, that she be ivory, white, beautiful, no Mm -hmm. dirt in her hair and everything when we see her sleeping, that that's really that Venus flytrap. And I think it talks to some of the things that may be the reasons that she was tortured through time or the women who she's representing have been tortured through time. You know, was it because you came as a temptation and you try to take men's power away and so they beat you to death, whatever it might be. The using that beauty that you were forced to be as a reason, detra, that they end up killing you in the first place. And so that whole thing of her being absolutely beautiful, I think that they are not like sexually turned on, but they are sexually aware that she is beautiful and that Mm -hmm. she is naked. And I think that that's also one of the things that you kind of let down your guard or you kind of focus differently depending upon what's going on. You're not playing on the normal playing field that you normally would be. And uh, so I thought that that was a clever move, but I didn't think that she was over-sexualized and only because we're looking at somebody like it was mentioned before she doesn't have smallpox or anything like that or mm-hmm. any scars from that i think she's supposed to be this temptation mm-hmm. yeah she's supposed to be this thing of hey you guys come on over let me tell you a little mm-hmm. bit about the the pain and suffering that's been going on for a couple of centuries and uh so i thought that that was okay but i was really surprised how many like i read a few reviews how often that they did mention uh, that it felt like, geez, that's really an over-sexualized character. And I kind of felt a little sad that many of the reviews that I read didn't read the, the, the movie. You know, mm-hmm. they, they experienced- I often feel that yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. About I didn't, yeah, I didn't feel like that she was hypersexualized. I, I feel like even to the degree that they noticed or commented on features about her that might be sexual like her waist or whatever it was right. it was very clinical that it was right. like they are there to do a, a job and I appreciated that that like it was a, a rare circumstance in which a woman could be naked in a room full of men and it wasn't right at all sexy I mean they're slicing and dicing her and doing so with a purpose like they're they're trying to solve a mystery and uh, while we might take issue with her her body being a mystery to be solved in the first place, mm-hmm. it was not a hypersexualized mystery. It was more so, a, the, more so the, the journey of this body in this movie is from flesh lacking identity mm-hmm. to identified. Yeah, and I wonder if that is part of the point 
of the movie too that um which is going to be like one of my last big questions is like what point what are what might be one point the movie is trying to make is that uh you know men and women alike did these horrible things to her and her body a long time ago but uh that doesn't go away just because they went away like she takes it out on everyone no matter no matter how good they are at their job or how professional they are and i did i did think that they were um very professional in their job even to the point of like we don't see the part of the autopsy that would sexualize her so much like we hear about it we see it from like an oblique angle yeah Um, as much as everything else is graphic yeah and they they mention that they are examining her genitalia and that's it and Emil Hirsch actually turns away yep Emil Hirsch holds the tube up and turns his head away and lets Mm -hmm. his dad put it in there so there is a respectfulness at that moment it's very interesting I, I have to say, though, we, we haven't mentioned Olwen Catherine Kelly, who plays Jane Doe. Yes. And she's how, fantastic. Um, I think it's the best performance in the movie. Yeah. It's, 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 she's a human Kuleshev experiment. You know, this whole idea of just having someone with a blank face and you put emotions on it depending upon what the image in front of that uh, that face and what the image is after that, you get the story. I want to go back through and see just how little like by micrometer she changed her expression and how much it was what was being said around her to make that placid blank face seem menacing or frightened or lost and i think all those emotions were there at different times now towards the end obviously she's her head's tilted in a different Mm -hmm. way her eyebrows are furrowed in she's feeling her 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 power but Prior to that, I'm wondering how often we are projecting, how clever of a performance that is, to allow us to project all of that onto her. The director himself said that he he met her, she was the first person he met for the role, and he decided immediately, like, that was it. He met with some other people, but just no one showed up. He felt it was the most difficult role in the movie, and for the vast majority of the film, that is her. Right. On camera. That is not a, a model he felt the movie didn't work. Like the whole point was that you had to come to She's care not about really her, dead. identify. Yeah, right. that you had to identify with her. She had to become real and meaningful to you. Right. So um, in close up, latex a, a is never going to look alive or mm-hmm. have ever been alive. And I think he made a smart move there. And I got to meet. <laughs> what am I saying? I got to meet. Uh, I was at Texas Frightmare Weekend two years ago down in Dallas, and when I was there, they had the body for the, the uh, Jane Doe from the film, which looked nothing wow. like it could possibly ever be real. But they were auctioning it off. Uh, IFC Midnight, I think, was there doing that. And I was like, I wouldn't want this. <laughs> Just, there's I don't even, I don't want to know the person who bought that. Right, right. It's like, uh, so seeing it up close, I was going, man, that just must have been in the background shots where mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, buzzed focus, you know, where she's not in the same focal range. Because uh, I think I read that she was into deep yoga. And that's one of the reasons. Yeah, so that she, really- so that's. That was appealing because she is able to regulate. She was able to regulate her breath. Yeah, yeah, and to be having those two guys just acting as good as they do and as natural, she had to have some serious con- concentration to not move, to not slowly get engaged with what they're saying, to not look at them. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, these are all actually things, but to think that you're doing that for the extent of an entire movie. Uh, yeah, but a lot of people like acting because they like to do stuff. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I've, I studied directing in school and uh, actors love to do things. <laughs> and when they have to not do things right. but react to things, they can get whiny. Right. Um, because they want to be the one doing things that other people react to. And uh, to reference my beloved Game of Thrones back when it was really good, um, it, it was like a running joke among the cast that like Khal Drogo's comatose state mm-hmm. was just a cruel joke on the part of the writers because apparently Jason Momoa is like fucking Tigger in person. Like he's like <laughs> always moving and always talking and always doing a thing. And he's very energetic and he's very uh, smiling. And so like he plays these very intense characters, but right. he's a very like smiley and goofy guy who's always got a thing going on. And then he had like a full episode where all he could, all he, he just had to lie still and react to nothing. And it was torture. It was the most difficult work he did in the entire series. Do you know the story about Dustin Hoffman and Midnight Cowboy? The story is uh, Ratso Rizzo dying on the bus. Mm, mm, mm. And so uh, Dustin Hoffman, being the method actor that he is, uh, decides, I want to die and I want to keep my eyes open. So he literally gets somebody to put these eye drops that paralyze his eyes temporarily. So uh-uh. they can do nope. a shot for minutes. Self. Yeah, no. for minutes. And he just laid there. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. That's just dedication. Thought. Yeah. It's like... Uh, that's that's some self-centered weirdness. Yeah, right. Right, exactly. You know, I, I kind like, of... Just fall. die with your eyes closed, weirdo. <laughs> yeah. I always think of like uh, uh, Olivier. He was doing some movie with... It was a heavyweight film where... Anthony Quinn, who was another method actor, uh, was in a scene with him. And he, um, Anthony Quinn supposedly was just finishing a boxing match and coming back in to his dressing room. And uh, he goes, listen, I got to go downstairs and run around the building. Call me when I'm supposed to come running up. And, and uh, Olivia's like, what? He goes, yeah, I'm going to run around so I can. So he goes, okay. So he goes downstairs, runs around, comes up. Olivier flubs his line. He goes back down, runs again. Olivier keeps intentionally flubbing his line because this crazy actor wants to run around the building and come up and then pretend that he's tired. And so there's an interesting balance there. I mean, there's uh, definitely not being a team player as Olivier, who's trying to teach uh, a method actor a lesson. But there's also something about putting yourself into a situation where you're just the whole, the whole crew is going to have to worry about whether you fall, whether you're going to get too tired to work, whatever. You should really be taking care of yourself as opposed to that. So yeah, that hits me as a little bit self-centered as well. What actor would you like to play dead for the duration of a movie? And which movie would you like them to be dead in? (laughs) 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 Do you know what I mean? Like if you had died earlier in the movie, it would be a better movie. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. I felt like since we were so analytical and heavy during like most of this, right. we could take it light and have fun yeah. with this last one. I know. I, I'm really fun, folks. If you're listening to this show, believe me. Oh, it yeah. Sounds I'm like having I'm, a great I got time. I just head yeah, I thought we'd take it light. Books, but, <laughs> but really, I, I, can, I can joke. Uh, 
You got jokes. <laughs> I got jokes. I do. <laughs> but uh, boy, what movie would I say? I would think uh, Bonfire of the Vanities would have been great if if Bruce Willis just got hit by a taxi when he was in that opening scene where he's getting carried around <laughs> in that fucking golf cart. If it rolled over and you just saw a picture of him spitting up blood and then they go with the rest of this film, I think it would have been a lot better. <laughs> That's awesome. I think Perfume Story of a Murderer would have been great. If the main character died immediately. (laughs) You didn't have to watch the movie. (laughs) That it would have just been a period drama. (laughs) I know. I've been thinking about all these movies that are just for like the shortest movie ever. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I mean, that was, that was actually, wasn't that my very first episode? Probably. Yeah. Um, so Mary Kay gave me the book years ago and I read it and the book is fascinating and then I watched the movie and I was like, I will stab every person. <laughs> she <laughs> hated it. Alan, except Alan Rickman. I think this is going to be like very obvious as soon as I say it, but the new mummy, I wish Tom oh, Cruise yeah. was dead from the beginning. <laughs> it would have been so much better without that bullshit fucking story garbage Ugh, it makes me so mad just to even think about it because it was so good when it was just Sophia Butea it was so good when it was just her being mean for the sake of being mean I, I, I have to admit I didn't even see it I, I, I went I refused I, I refused I went to LA I was at LA for a film festival and I was walking the Chinese theater area and there's this big mall that's right near it. And they had this ridiculously huge mummy sarcophagus that was just up like five stories or so. And it was absolutely amazing to look at. And I went, wow, that's fucking amazing. I walked over and I saw what it was and it said, it's for the mummy. I said, oh, this thing's going to suck. They are spending this kind of money on this. (laughs) Holy shit. The mummy's going to blow. It must be terrible. (laughs) It was terrible. She was awesome in it. Like her acting, she's a dancer, so she had like the whole like Aaliyah walk down and Mm. everything. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tom Cruise, sit down. This is not your day. Anyway, (laughs) you made me so mad. Mm. You had a billion days. It was called the 90s. Just chill out now. Leave us alone. Stick to Top Gun. Like, yeah, I was just gonna say, I, I, you know, I gave him up till about to, a little bit after Top Gun. I might give him a little bit of Mission Impossible, the first one, because that was right. Brian De Palma, and mm-hmm. De Palma can make anything look funny, you know, and he could take over serious guys and make them fun. This has been a delight, yes, and a thrill. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for um, having me. Oh, really, S. A. Bradley, Scott Bradley. Thank you so much. Yeah, the tell us about where. A, yeah, sorry, Mary. The book is a, a damn delight. It so is. So, can you please tell us about where we can get it? Yes, and I'll have it and read it. Thank you. Sure. Uh, so the book is uh, "Screaming for Pleasure: How Horror Can Make You ha- How Horror Makes You Happy and Healthy." And if you're a person who wants to get it off of Amazon, you can get it in Kindle form as well as paperback. Uh, it's at Barnes and Noble, all those big guys. But it's also uh, at the Indies. You can go to yes. Books a Million 
as well as any of your mom and pop bookstores. The ISBN number, uh, you can find that on my webpage. I'll actually send it here to you guys. If Perfect. you want to we'll actually support, yeah, if you want to support the small business uh, of, of booksellers, that's what I love to do. I usually tell people if you go there, you have the ISBN number, they will get it for mm-hmm. you. And then you're helping out uh, small guys like me and small folks like them who really are in it because they love books and they love stories. And uh, if you want to know a little bit more about the book as well as the podcast, Hellbent for Horror, you can go to hellbentforhorror.com. I'm also on Twitter as Hellbent Horror. Uh, Hellbent for Horror was actually taken, believe it or not. But Hellbent for Horror uh, is also where you can find me on Facebook. So facebook.com, Hellbent for Horror. Uh, and on Instagram, I am Hellbent for Horror as well. But on uh, the webpage, hellbentforhorror.com, you will find an entire page on the book. I give a free chapter for you to read see if you like it and if you do come on back and you can also find out a little bit more information about movies like uh, the one that we uh, watched and talked about today the autopsy of jane doe yes wonderful thank you so much for coming on and for talking with us it's been a and pleasure. oh yay, yay I'm glad thank you so much i'm glad I'm glad I wasn't a raging disappointment to you. Um, <laughs> I'm, I hope you got what you wanted. I'm always oh, yeah. nervous. Yeah, no, I'm, I always perfect. do. This is great. I always do. Um, <laughs> so, you will, you so, will ford that stream. You will curve that stream around the Ohio and get it I where will, it's supposed to go. Yeah, yeah. That the mountain won't come to Muhammad. That's right. Get a big elephant. <laughs> I will fuck that mountain up. <laughs> Dynamite. That's what we use in the Appalachians. Just dynamite a hole. There we go. Right through the dam. <laughs> so um, up next, guys, we are going to be discussing the same thing you're all discussing right now as we record, because we're a little off kilter time-wise. Um, the Perfection on Netflix. Um, we're both excited and not excited to watch this based <laughs> on the feedback we're hearing. It's very confusing. But My favorite kind. Yeah. Exactly. The feedback I'm mostly hearing is it's a damn mess. You have to watch it and talk about it, which seems right in our wheelhouse. So yes. we're we're thrilled about that. This is what I heard about Mandy. Be a hot mess. Oh yeah, Mandy. that's true. I forgot about Mandy. Halfway through that movie, I was like, "Hang on." <laughs> yeah. I was I was so, just like uh, it finally just burnt the last synapse, and I got giddy. <laughs> Like the first 20 minutes or so, I was like, because people told me, you got to see this thing. And first 20 minutes, I'm like going, I'm going to kill somebody. This is like a really bad 70s album cover, and I'm stoned. And I'm sitting there like, oh, this is terrible. And then it just turned into this. I can't even explain it. And I think that there's something brilliant to the fact that it can't be explained. And that entire scene with Nicolas Cage in the bathroom. You can tell that the cameraman is nervous. They're like, they don't know what to do. They don't know what he's going to do. So they're like doing this dolly in. And all of a sudden there's like this hesitation. Do I go back? Do I go forward? Do I go up? So just kind of like doing that little Nicholas swirl Cage. with a camera. There's no, there's no, there's no right choice yeah. when it comes to Nick Cage. Right? And I was just, by then so, I was like, okay, I'm just going to have to surrender to this this and just love it. And that's, it's not, by the end I was giddy. I was like, this can't well, get Well, here's any- hoping that that's the experience of the perfection. Yeah, we hope so. <laughs> but dear God. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, please uh, subscribe. 
Please follow us on our various social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, please tell your friends about us. Even if they won't like us, just like any publicity is good publicity at this point. Yes. So even if they like just come on our page to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you dumb bitches? We love like, to be loathed. We, That's we my could, favorite. We could, <laughs> we could work with a troll or two. Like, I mean. I'm gotta for get us sale. Some more haters. I'm for hire. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for telling your friends. Uh, look forward to discussing the perfection amongst ourselves while you listen and rage at your iPhone. Love you guys. Bye. Love you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.